Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod, and we're joined today by Lansing State Journal columnist Graham Couch. He's also stars in the Spartan Speak podcast, where he listens to Chris Solari, and also he plays the role of Couch in Couch in the Rube, a uh, great MSU sports show. Uh, before we begin, I just want to take care of a little bit of business. I want to thank Charles Dobbis, who gave us a one-time gift via Venmo. Thank you so much, Charles. And also Michael Emmerich, who gave us a one-time gift via PayPal. Thank you so much, guys. We appreciate your support. If you want to support the show, please go to the final fours on the schedule.com slash support or tffinots.com slash support. And there you can give either a recurring monthly diff, gift through Patreon or one time via PayPal or Venmo. Uh, also a great way to support the show is to head over to our friends, Gabe and Brittany over at nudge printing. Nudge printing will provide all your Michigan state apparel. Your, uh, they have the vintage gruff Sparty stuff. They've got all the other things that you need for your tailgating cornhole decals car decals. Uh, and also one thing that we haven't talked about before, they have a company that, which they started on the side, I guess, another one called Fabricated Customs, in which case they can make screen printed shirts for you for your corporate events, maybe for you know your family uh, or for fundraisers. The biggest thing, if you ask a teacher, the worst part about a fundraiser is collecting the money from all those t- second graders, right? And trying to keep track of it and stuff. And so they can take all care of all that stuff, not only to deliver the shirts, but they can take care of all the payments. It makes it a lot easier for you. So if you have a fundraiser you want to put together, or if you're, you know, I think probably it's only allowed if you're over the age of 75, or if you're going to Disney World, where you're allowed to have matching t-shirts. So if you want to do that sort of thing, you can certainly go to Fabricated Customs. You can find that at FabricatedCustoms.com. And for listeners of the show, you can get 24% off your disc, your checkout if you type in the code FINAL4 on checkout. All right. Well, thank you so much, Graham, for joining the show. We really appreciate it. You're coming back. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation last time. It can only go downhill. <laughs> there's there's nowhere else for it to go. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to start off talking about Michigan State basketball, obviously. And so we're at the turn or just slightly past the turn. We're 11 games into the Big Ten uh, schedule. Where do you see Michigan State right now? How do you assess the team at the turn? And do you feel that they're on the way up, on the way down, or sort of just somewhere in the middle? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because it does it does feel um, like they're, they sort of um, are what they are a little bit right now um, and sort of in the middle. Uh, but I don't think we know, you know, they haven't had Malik Hall back for very long. They haven't been whole very often this season. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can, if there is another gear, if there can be, if, if, if they can gel in certain ways and they can find some consistency. You know, I, I think there are a couple of guys on the team who still have room to grow, especially, and and that being A.J. Hogard, 
and Jaden Akins. You know, the other guys might sort of be what they are. We'll see what Malik calls, but especially this year. But I think Hogard and Akins are two guys who, I mean, Hogard kind of is the guy who stirs everything. And, and Akins is a guy whose athleticism is really important. It, it's in a lot of ways, you know, I remember when Aaron Henry first got there and he's not as big as Aaron Henry. He's not as big as it was even bigger Brandon Dawson. But, you know, what Aaron Henry did when he first arrived as a freshman on a team that wasn't all that athletic otherwise is he gave them athleticism. Like it changed the complexion of the, of the lineup when he was in the game and that helped him compete with more athletic teams. And, it, and I think Aikens, this, is a, this team is pretty decent athletically, but, and Hall's a decent athlete at the four and all that, but, but he gives them a little more of that, right? You can see the, the blocks he does from behind, just the sort of the natural gifts there. So, you know, if he can be that guy who's a difference maker and continue to hit shots and improve in that realm. Uh, and then it really is Hogard just being, um, he's the guy I think can be a problem for other teams every night. Tyson Walker, Joey Hauser, shot makers, they'll have nights where they score 20. They'll have occasional nights where they may score 30. They'll have nights where they score 10. And you have enough other guys that it doesn't have to be the same guy every night, but it has to be Hogard every night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, to follow up on that, it's something that we've been talking about here for the last few games. I think with AJ, it, it's it's so critical because he's the one guy who elevates everything else around him if he's dialed in right. And I thought maybe he took a little bit of a step forward. I don't know how you felt in the Purdue game, um, but not 100% where he needs to be. I think he took a step forward for himself as a scoring threat again, finishing plays at the rim again, all of those things. I still don't think he's quite back to where he was maybe three weeks ago, elevating everybody else around him, though. Do you, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, and I think, I think you're right. You know, he has that in him, that component we saw at Purdue. It happened against Northwestern in the game they lost where, you know, things aren't going well, and he sort of has this takeover gene, and that's a, a good gene to have. And, it, you know, in both cases, wasn't enough, too little, too late. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and I think he um, – it, it's interesting to watch. And, and he may be affected more by the, the sort of the changing lineup and, and all that stuff. But, you know, you see them struggle early in games. And I think one of the things with him is he's often trying to figure out different matchups where they can get what they want. And then sometimes I think what they've sort of scripted at the beginning um, doesn't necessarily fit with what they're going against. And, and yet they're still trying to do that. And, and, and you know, the, the feeling out process sometimes takes him a minute and he's got to get there faster. Um, and, and I think that's a really important thing, but yeah, no, I totally agree. I, cause he, he's a, you know, if you, if you look at just on, uh, I mean, he's a natural facilitator. Um, right. I mean, the downhill threat is all that stuff. But if, if you just look at his assist numbers, they're incredible. One of the best bets all year long. Uh, I mean, uh, most of the gambling sites will have uh, A.J. Hogard over under four and a half assists a game. At Breslin, especially where they have a really friendly, uh, you know, uh, scorekeeper or stat taker. He's never, almost never, he's, I think once or twice gone under that. But what I mean by that is some guys really, you know, point guards even, they average that and they struggle to get there. You look down a lot at his line, it's six to eight every night. I mean, he, he knows how to get guys involved. He sees it. He knows how to cause havoc. Um, 
but I agree. He's not yet, uh, you know, where I think he can be. And I think he does have more upside. And I think that's the good news for MSU is that like he, there is more upside in there. He is not who he is going to be. Well, so it's talking, returning to the subject of individuals on MSU. Um, if you had to identify one guy above everybody else as a pleasant surprise and one guy maybe as a disappointment relative to what, where you thought they'd be by this point in the season, which way would you lean? It's a good question. I, you know, I would, I would say Joey Hauser is the pleasant surprise because I did not know. I mean, I think this is the player to some degree they thought they'd have. The yeah. player I think they saw in practice mm -hmm. in 2020, 19 and 20. Um, and I think a player who might have gotten there faster if he had been able to play a year with Cassius Winston. But I I I didn't know based on where his headspace was that he would ever get to this place. And when I, I, I talked to him a number of times last year and just thought, you know, he's, he's kind of a mess upstairs. Now he was close to quitting the sport. Now he's a guy who will we'll probably get a look at the next level. And he's, you know, his confidence, you can just see it. And it's not just the way he shoots. It's the way, I mean, it's partly that when he misses or he misses three in a row, it does not affect him at all. Like he keeps right. shooting. That's, and then it's when you talk to him, it's just, there's a, there's an air about him that is just so much, he's just in such a better place. And so to me, I, I don't, it wasn't entirely surprising after I talked to him in April or May, because you could just see it in him. But it still is, um, I, you know, I saw enough of his struggles to not know they'd get here. I think the the the, the disappointing, um, I, you know, I think what what Maddie what Maddie Sissoko is right now is probably what I thought he would be. But based on what we saw for a brief period of time early in the season. Mm -hmm. I thought they may have really, they may have really found something there. And the problem is teams have completely taken away. I mean, they understand the one thing he can do offensively is the ball screen, roll to the hoop, alley-oops. And teams have decided that's not happening. And so that that's just never going to be there for him. And he doesn't have any other way. And then the, the worst thing for him is they've just played a number of teams that are, where the worst matchup is the center. And so he's lost some confidence. It's just game after game, um, you know, you you get Zach Eady twice, and, and yeah, or you you know, and, and Hunter Dickinson. It just it never ends. And so a guy like that doesn't have a chance to gather himself. You know, it, it's it's rough. I I, I wonder because that's an interesting one. I, I probably would have personally inclined to go with Pierre Brooks. Um, and I wonder what you think about not only just the short term here, but this is something that gets talked about by a lot of fans, the long-term prognosis. And I know Tom Izzo has spent a lot of time this year reminding people that this is going to be a developmental program for as long as he's got anything to say about it. But, you know, that's one side of the street. Obviously, the player has another side. and You do have to wonder at this stage does Pierre believe it's the right fit for him? Because it just doesn't seem to have been playing out the way I think he anticipated, or frankly, the way I anticipated. I saw his first game in high school, and I thought I had rarely seen a guy that I thought was better built to play for MSU than he was just because of the versatility of his skill set. But defense side just hasn't clicked. I'm curious 
what you think about him and the season he's had and maybe where it goes from here. You know, it's a good question. I, I think one of his issues is he is a guy who, when he doesn't play a lot, tends to disappear and struggle. Um, but he also has to play better to play more. But he's in a situation now that they're fully healthy where, you know, you can see where the minutes would not go to him yep. as much. And you look at their the roster potentially next year and you can see where there would be issues uh, again. You know, I, I like Pierre personally quite a bit because I think he is a fairly self-aware kid. Um, but and so I, what I, what I do hope for him, whether it's either at Michigan State or elsewhere, is he goes to a place that continues to hold him accountable. Like I think he's a high major player, and so I don't think he needs to transfer down. I don't know if that helps him. I don't know if you know going to Oakland or something does his career any good. He'd get to take a lot of shots or whatever, and he'd probably be a pretty decent shooter. But I, I think. The, the best chance for him to get the most out of his basketball ability is to be at a place that pushes him where he's not naturally good. And that's right. defensively. And so th the question is what, 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 where I see him as a disappointment is he's, I, I understand he's not a great natural defender where I see natural ability and where I see he can make an impact and where he would be on the court so much more if he did it all the time is his rebounding. Yes, right, you, yeah. you'll see him just go into a mash of people and come away with the ball and he's got size. He can throw himself in there. And when he does, if he did that, you know, if he was averaging seven, eight rebounds a game, now obviously you can do per 40 minutes, but he'd be playing a lot of minutes to be able to average those because they're not a great rebounding team at all times. He could be a huge difference maker for them. there. somebody they just wanted to have on. The, if he could rebound and hit threes, he'd be on the court all the time if he was consistent with those two things and so I think that's still there for him at Michigan State but it, it's a decision he's got to he's got to make and, and probably needs to keep his weight down to a certain extent to, to do some other things too yeah so I kind of know the answer to this question I think because I read your column earlier today uh, which is very good I would recommend people check it out at lsj.com but uh, the Michigan State there's room for improvement always is this a team that you think there's a, a there's a chance that they're going to have a deep run into the tournament. That's always a question for Michigan State fans. I mean, which we're spoiled. We just assume they're going to the NCAA tournament. And then sort of what kind of damage can they do? And so is this a team that you think could could do some do something special? Y yes. Um, I mean, I, I do think that they're capable of beating just about anybody in the country on a given night and maybe anybody in the country on a given night. And so in a, a one-off tournament where you just get going, <laughs> that sort of thing can happen. Um, and I like, I mean, there are some matchups that would not be favorable for them. And if they hit the wrong one they're you know, they're also capable of losing relatively early, but they are more seasoned than they've been when they've had teams like that before. Uh, I mean, they're a better team than they were last year and they nearly beat Duke in the second round. Right. So right. I, I think that is in them. Um, what, what, what I've always been told and, and a couple of things, and we'll see, I think we'll have a good feel for it by the end of February, because one of the things I wrote today was it's a mistake to write these guys off or think they don't have the goods to have a special season based on the end of January, just based on history in the program recently, 2020, there's a stretch of three straight games where it just looks like it's not going to happen. And then they have the five games and the season before COVID where you're like, now everybody in who's ever covered or been around Michigan state just insists they would have won a national title, right? Because of those five games, <laughs> yep. but that was not how they were playing before that. 
you go to 2019, it's even more pronounced. I mean, they were not, they were really struggling for a while. And, you know, I wrote some stuff that this just didn't look like it was going to happen. We're in early February here. And then it began to, and then they lose uh, Nick Ward. And all of a sudden, and, you know, all of a sudden they're better. And we didn't see that coming. There were things that, and 2015 is the best case of all of it, you know, where they, they sort of became sure. else late when they were really miserable and on the bubble. So it can always happen, but we always saw a lot of signs of it in February. So it's not something that usually went out of the blue in March. Oh, wait a second. Where's, where'd that come from? Um, but I do think the other thing that I've always heard from coaches is you need three guys rolling to get anywhere in college basketball. Now there are exceptions in this idea. Zach Eady is one guy who's different than the others, but you got to have other parts <laughs> yeah. and it's got to work around them. And, um, but Michigan state has more guys who give them a chance to have three guys than a lot of teams do. Um, now they don't have somebody though, right now you can count on every single night to give it to you. I mean, that's, that's an issue. They don't have a Denzel Valentine or a Cassius Winston, you know, the guy who just, that's the dude and you know it and it's night in and it's night out and, and Hogard maybe gets there. You know, if you get Walker to every night, give you a 16 and, 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 you know, same for Hauser, but one of those guys is usually there. Um, so, you know, if Hall and Akins can, can keep getting back in the groove, I, I mean, I think they have a chance. And then I think they're, they're seasoned enough. They're, they're, they've got enough. I, I, I just, I look around the landscape of college basketball. People go, oh, they're not this, they're not a top 25 team. Well, who is like, I'm going to, oh, you're, you're anticipating our next question. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but before 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 we before we turn to that, because uh, I agree with you completely. But uh, before we turn to that, though, just one more point I wanted to get your take on regarding MSU and this this home stretch. I, I maintain that the biggest thing that's been a factor in what they've done to date, and maybe as important a reason as any why the result might be better the rest of the way, is the schedule. And it's not even just who they play and when they're playing them, but uh, or where they're playing them rather, but it's when they're playing. You know, they just went through this incredibly compacted schedule where they were playing every three days and they're through that now. I mean, we're sitting here in the middle of a, what a five day layoff between now and Rutgers, and it's a little kinder the rest of the way. You look at the road games they've got left, and you know, any road game in the Big Ten is tough, but. When you rate buildings and opponents, what they've got left does not match what they've already gone through. So do, do you think that's a factor, too, in terms of MSU being able to get some momentum built up? It, yeah, I mean, Rutgers giving up the home game to play Madison Square Garden. Yeah, huge. Just, just dumb. <laughs> just stupid. Yeah. And, and, and now Madison Square Garden has been a, a house of horrors in some ways for Michigan State. It's not been a, a great building for them. But they've also played in some stupid games there, like the, the Georgetown yes. game in 14. Like, what was that? Like, one of the dumbest right. creations <laughs> they've ever done. Yeah. And I remember at that time, you know, Keith Appling was struggling with confidence in his wrists. And my thought was it's a non-conference game in February, which is unnatural. So don't ever play it. But also, don't play Appling in this game. Just give it away. It's like a, you know, it's 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 like playing a friendly in the in the middle of the right. league schedule. What are you doing? <laughs> and and um, the. Uh, yeah, so you look at Rutgers, then it's Maryland at home, 
Ohio State on the road who's been struggling, you know, but they've had some misfortune too. My guess is Ohio State has got a lot of talent. By the time they get there, Ohio State will be rolling. <laughs> That's just the way it's been going. <laughs> well, they better be because they're three and seven in the league. So it's slipping away fast. And, and and they've got and that's the other thing about the league being so unforgiving. I, you know, I was looking at some of the similar teams that, that to um, other years for Michigan State when they've been on the bubble or had struggles at this point. There are years where there are eight teams in the Big Ten who would be in the bottom three this year, and so it is just so brutal. And there are probably, you know, and I know teams are starting to fade and losing confidence, but there are probably ten teams in the Big Ten that would go to almost any other league and be an automatic NCAA tournament team. Yep. And yet they're not going to get there, all of them, uh, because of this. But, yeah, no, I think, you know, you get certainly Maryland at home, who's capable, but, you know, Minnesota at home, uh, you know, Indiana. And and some of these will be uh, in Nebraska on the road isn't bad. Yeah, no, you're right. The the back half is, even matchup-wise, is is kinder. Just not playing Purdue twice is is helpful, right? Right. It's, It's skewed. You look at what they've already gone through. I mean, look, you roll into Mackey Arena almost any year, you know it's not happening. <laughs> so they've gone they've gone through that. We, we were talking about it on the podcast, and I've said if you name your Michigan State superstar over the years, any of them, and they've taken losses at Mackey, including Magic. So it doesn't happen there. And you played them at home, too. You've already been to Champaign-Urbana. You've already been to Bloomington, where Indiana played, I think, pretty close to their their peak level with their current roster in that game in some ways you, those are already in the rearview mirror to me what you've got left isn't isn't as tough but that said and I want to come back to what we were just kind of dancing around you know looking big picture at the conference there seems to be this belief and I think it's mostly by people who suffer from big 10 myopia they pay attention to the big 10 and they don't really look around the rest of the country and there seems to be this perception the league is filled with mediocre teams that are going to be quick outs in March. Uh, when I look around, and I'm interested in your take on this, I see mediocrity everywhere. People talk about top 10 teams nationally. What team, including Purdue, by the way, really measures up to what we normally think of as a top 10 level team? Yeah, I mean, well, and, and there are probably top 10 teams, but everybody's flawed and they usually are most years. I think I think that's too, it, it's twofold. You know, you look at there are moments where I thought UConn this year and there are moments where I thought like Arizona and there have been moments with UCLA. There have been moments with Alabama and then there have been moments where they're not because they're 19 to 22 year old kids and they're they're imperfect and they're road games and, you know, all these sort of things. And everybody, you know, Michigan State famously in their best years goes on a three game losing streak, right? It's what they do. And, 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 and it's just hard to keep up throughout the, the course of the year, that level of consistency. There is no elite team. Certainly there's nobody right. that you go, you can't beat them. And when, and, and what the problem the big 10 has right now in terms of what people think will happen, like I am hoping for the league when they get in the NCAA tournament, and they've got a bunch of teams outside of Purdue who are seated five through 11 and that those teams perform well. And that some of those seven, eight, nine, ten seeded teams take out one and two seeded teams to sort of prove the point. The problem is the Big Ten right now doesn't get the benefit of that doubt because of their recent performances in the NCAA tournament. And that's fair, frankly. I mean, they just haven't played well. And they've had these teams that all year have been put on this pedestal. Yep. And then the Pac 12 has run circles around them, or they just haven't had the athletes. And it's like, well, wait a second. Is it, 
I mean, that's the one thing Purdue will have to prove with Zach Eady, who I think is different than Kofi Coburn or, uh, you know, some of the other bigs, Hunter Dickinson. I mean, I think he is just big. Like, I am fascinated what will happen to him in the NBA. I know the NBA has given up on that kind of player, but he is seven foot four, 300 pounds, who finishes around the rim and hits free throws. If you can't figure out a way to make that guy work for you for some level, I mean, what we're saying, like, I, like to me, there there has to still be a place for somebody who's that dominant in one facet. Um, and I, and so I'm I'm curious to see what the league will do with him and how much they'll give him a shot. And this, the same time is if he's not your star, can he defend and and you have to build things around? Like I don't I don't know how that works. I think that's it. I think that's right. the problem. If he's not capable of being your star you're not going to build your team, structure your team around him the way Purdue does, for example. And so can he be five as a bit part? And I think that's where the questions come in, but. Yeah. But, if, but, if, but he's also, I mean, it's one of 13 spots on a roster. I don't see how he's not on a roster. Um, he's just too big and too good, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't know anybody in the, in the league who's, or in the, in the country who um, that I wouldn't think kind of given night that Michigan state can beat them. And I, I, I just, they're just, I haven't seen that team and I've watched, you know, all the top teams to, to some degree. Um, and, and same with most of, you know, there are a number of teams in the big 10 that I think are, um, you know, capable of getting hot and making a run in Illinois, Indiana, um, you know, Rutgers, I think is a tough as nails team. Uh, Iowa, I strangely have this good vibe about, uh, and I know they always blow it, but I just have this weird feeling. I've gotten more and more confident with Fran, and part of it is that his teams haven't faded as much in recent years. So the Fran fade has gone a little bit, you know, like whatever that was that was existed forever. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I think there are uh, maybe seven teams in the big 10 that are capable with the right matchups of getting to the sweet 16. And so what the big 10 needs to have happen is they need some of those to actually do it. The big 10 shows yeah. up with at least three teams in the second weekend point is made but they need that sort of thing to happen. I, I think that, you know, I think you're right about where the big 10 is going to have a lot of teams seated. It's going to be that five to 11 range. Purdue's the only one really in the conversation for a top four kind of seat at this point. Um, but if there's every year to be a five through 11 seed, this is it. Um, because I don't think there's going to be much difference between say, a seven seed and a, and a two seed. I honestly don't believe that uh, much more so than any other year I can recall. Uh, the, the one other team I wanted to get your take on before we, before we move on though, was I, I'm really, really rooting for Penn state to make the tournament this year. One, cause I think Micah Shrewsbury already proven to be a hell of a coach. Uh, I think he's going to be even better once he gets his, the guys he wants in there, but what he's doing with a tremendously flawed team, physically i think is is crazy but uh, it's just check me on this if i'm if if i'm off base i look at this penn state team and i think boy if they can get in their profile in terms of the type of team they are isn't that different than some mid majors over the years that we've seen go on a run to a sweet 16 or even an elite eight you know they're small so they're hard for bigger teams to guard they shoot a ton of threes and they make them um am i crazy or, or, or are they a team that maybe would have a shot at doing some damage? No, they got shooters and they got a great, great point guard. And when you have yeah. those two things, you got a shot to get going. Now you can have a day where they just don't go in and you're right. You're in trouble or you can hit a matchup where 
know, we saw them really struggle with Edie, right? They, you know, there are some bigs that they don't do as well against, but we just saw them take out Michigan like crazy. I know Michigan was, was shorthanded and all that stuff, but like, uh, you know, I, I like them a lot. I think they're well coached. I think they're, and they're a little different than the prototypical big 10 team, which I think absolutely helps in, in, in some, some ways. And, and so, and the, yeah, the big 10 isn't what they, what it's been in terms of the sort of the plotting big guys to some degree. Sure. Edie is the ultimate big man, right. But Michigan is not going to be in the tournament and they, they got one of the big guys. Um, and you know, Illinois is a much more gifted team that has a big man, but doesn't really rely on him that way. Indiana plays through a four man, you know, and, and, and they're just, they're, it's not quite the league that it was with uh, Garza and Coburn and those guys right. that, 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 that didn't work in, in, in the postseason and Edie in previous years where what I missed with Edie this year in Purdue early, and I had to see him a couple times. I remember watching them play Michigan state in the big 10 tournament last year and Hogard causing all sorts of havoc in the paint. And it's because Edie could not defend a ball screen. And the, the, the funny thing is, is, I mean, they lose a, a lottery pick guard of the Pistons. They're better without him. Because Ivy didn't play a lot of team defense. He leaked out all the time to get run down the court. And it didn't work for what they need to do. They got a bunch of guys in their role. They are, uh, they are better off without Ivy. Now, if Ivy fully bought in everything they wanted to do and came back, sure, you're not better without Jaden Ivy at that, at that level. But they're a better team this year. And they're better and Edie's gotten better. Um, and, and I didn't I didn't see the the strides coming the way they have. I, I think the biggest thing to me with Edie has been the minutes played. He's averaging more than 31 minutes a game. I, I figured coming into the season, maybe they'd get 25, 26 out of him. And and he's not fading at the end of game either, uh, as Michigan really State can attest to. I think that that alone has been a huge improvement. And maybe that's the thing I didn't see coming was that they were going to be able to get his conditioning improved that much. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's, I mean, he looks, I mean, he looks the part, right. He looks like he, he looks like he plays like a star now. And, uh, and I, you know, maybe he gets there faster if they didn't have Travion Williams, but I think that helped him too. He needed, he wasn't ready before. And, and Williams was a, it was a really gifted player in other ways as well. You know, when you look at the teams, the Big Ten, the season right now, who do you see as the biggest surprise and then the biggest disappointment? And the only correct answer is Northwestern, but no, go ahead. Yeah, no, the biggest surprise <laughs> is Northwestern. And, I, you know, I remember watching them play MSU, and they had had one really bad result against, like, Pitt or something like that. Early. Pittsburgh, yeah. Blew them up. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, these guys are they're just, you know, and I didn't think they were very good coming into the year, but I knew – I didn't know. I was reading some of the previews coming to the year. Everybody's like, oh, they're going to be awful. They lost Pete Nance. You know, they didn't, you know, they didn't really add anybody. But I'm like, wait a sec. Bowie's still there. Chase Adige is still there. Like, they still, that's, those are pretty good season Big Ten guards. You win with old guards. And those guys look motivated. Adige is a lot better. He takes, um, you talk about guys growing into an understanding of roles and, and what wins. That guy used to take horrendous shots. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he still he still would take some head scratchers, but like he that's changed quite a bit. And that that you know, they're they're top trio of guards and they're okay inside. Like that is a that is you know, I feel good for them because I think people bailed on them and 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 uh a couple of their players had over recent years, Cop who's at Indiana, you know, and now, now Nance. And I think 
uh, you know, and they could have been even better. But I, I, I hope they're a tournament team. I think they're playing like one right now, and they should be a, they will be a tournament team. So they're, they're surprising. I like Indiana is a surprising team in this sense, in their story. I like that Indiana has shown some gumption. So Indiana, I, everybody thought was going to be great. I was like, let's see it. They start out okay, but then, you know, they have some injuries and things start falling apart. And, they're, you know, it's typical Indiana. And you're like, ah, oh, this, this is going nowhere. Bad coaching, disconnected, not happening. But they didn't let that happen, what has often happened to them happen. And I, I, that surprised me. So I think that's a good, uh, a, a good sign. Disappointment, Ohio State, I thought I had a chance, talent-wise, to be really, really good, uh, has, has not been. Um, you know, I, I, I thought Michigan would be uh, a little bit better than they are. Like, you, if you have a Hunter Dickinson, you ought to be able to. And I know they got young players, a lot of young guards. I thought they'd be able to get more out of that. Like they essentially are Purdue light in a certain way. Purdue has young guards, great big man. Like they got, and the problem is Hunter Dickinson is just not as dominant as, as Zach Eady. So that it's, it's not enough. Um, and uh, th- those are really, you know, Maryland surprised me. The fact that Maryland, I didn't think Maryland was going to be very good this year. There's there some teams who are sort of in the mix that I didn't think were going to be very good and, 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 and are, and, uh, but Ohio state probably the most uh, disappointing out there okay um so i have our 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 last one um is is maybe a broader picture uh question for you and but it's triggered by something that happened in the michigan state purdue game and you were you were in west lafayette obviously so you saw it i'm i'm wondering if you're aware there's this story about i think it was john higgins one of the officials that worked the game um, and, and this was trumpeted in, in some places. I saw a former, I'm forgetting his name, but on social media, a former director of officials trumpeting this as if it was something to be applauded. Higgins worked and it was a noon game or 1215 Eastern MSU and Purdue the night before he worked a game that tipped, I think it was Cal Stanford that tipped at 10 PM Eastern the night before. And then he comes and works another game at noon. I've long felt that one of the big problems that I think everybody agrees that officiating in college basketball is not great. And there's a variety of reasons why, but I think one of the big ones, in my opinion, is the amount of games these guys work and the travel that's involved. You know, we would, we would never subject players to it, but we have the system where these guys are allowed to and incentivized because they can make more money working, you know, five games, sometimes in extreme cases, six games in a week. And then you have a travel story like that. And you just, I I don't know how we can expect the officiating to be good in that kind of system. So I guess I'd ask you one, do you agree that we've got a problem? And if you do, do you have any thoughts on what can be done to fix it? So a couple of things. One, Higgins is one of the better reps out there, obviously. So Oh, I know. He's got a good but, reputation. And but I do think in those situations, and and I think there I, I saw somebody, uh, I think it was Dylan Burkhardt. It was it was Matt Charbonneau who realized it and tweeted it out right before the game. And then Dylan Burkhart um from UM Hoops uh quote tweeted and just said that some of that might be the flex scheduling with the NFL games and where some of the stuff's got moved, and they've had some officiating issues with that. 
during the late NFL season. They, I don't really understand that because this game was always going to be pre-NFL, you know. Yeah, th- right. I don't, really, I don't really get the issue. Now, maybe some other official can do it, um, but it's too much. And even if it's not too much, it's the perception of too much. Now, there are people in this world who take that sort of thing as a rare challenge. Hey, I got stuck doing this versus this, and, and I'm going to do it well. And you almost ought to do an interview after that. You know, I, I call my best games when I'm focused and I have to come in and do something, you know. But it just looks like you're you're overworked and you're not able to give all of your attention to what you need to do. And and um, you know, I, I you know, there's a lot of money coming in uh, through these television contracts now. Most of it's not driven by basketball. You could hire full time officials, put them in a couple leagues in one region. They they yeah. have this you know this uh, consortium with the MAC and and Horizon League and, and Big Ten for a while more of that and so. You know, you're not seeing as much of it, um, but it's certainly unless you hire these guys full time. The other problem is some of these guys are like cops in Fort Lauderdale and Pittsburgh. Right. <laughs> what the, I mean, first of all, they can't be good at their other job and do this either. Like somewhere they're right. be at what they do. Right. It's just uh, it, and, and they're either bad officials or they're bad employees. I mean, there's just no way to I mean, you know, it's, it's no way they do it all well. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I do think they need to look at it. They need to find a way to financially make it better for them not incentivize overworking them but then i also think you can fix it with guardrails that prevent them from ruining games and to me the big one has always been the six fouls you know because in college basketball five fouls doesn't divide equally in anything so coaches take guys out with two in the first half and you wind up with good players off the floor a technical foul shouldn't be a personal foul you can't send a message to a kid either then you know if, if you do that like luckily in the iowa michigan state game i think it was where they had the i forget where the most recent double it was joey and yeah like luckily it was the first foul for both kids and it was early in that whatever it was early in the second half it didn't really affect it but i hate that in college basketball in the nba it's not a personal foul so it shouldn't be a personal foul so take the things away from them that ruin the game and the big one for that is the dumb foul that affects who's on the floor and when, and that sort of thing. Then if they miss a call, they miss, they miss a call. And I still think it's a hard job and there are only so many people can do this at a certain level. And, um, but yeah, there should be guardrails. You can only do, you know, four games a week, you know, or whatever you got to work for in a certain amount of leagues and, and, um, and maybe fewer people would do it. If you can make less money, I don't know if that would prohibit it, but I, yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think it's a problem to some degree, but I think the rules, I think the bigger problem is when they get stuck on the freedom of movement stuff and overdo it and you get games with like 50 fouls in a game and neither team is accustomed to it. Like you sometimes get that when you get NCAA tournament officials who did not deal with a, a conference or team all year and they just, they ruin a game. That stuff, I, I'm a big believer. If you get to pass 40 fouls in a game, that every game should be reviewed that gets more than 40 fouls. Like that should go to Rick Boyage's, the Big Ten office, whoever it is, you sit down and, whoa, this, this, you know, and, and, and over 40 foul games should be known. That should be like a stat. This guy had 13 over 40 foul games he was part of. Like, that shouldn't be a badge of honor. That should be like, that's a problem because it's not like these kids don't know how to play. But there are rough games that deserve it once in a while, but ultimately, I, I would take every, the 2012 Big Ten championship game, and Big Ten tournament championship game. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ohio State, Michigan State. Physical, yeah. beautiful, 
well-played basketball. That should be the tape that is shown to every ref over and over along the way. This is how you call every game, every game. You can play good basketball with a little bit of physicality. This is the standard for everything you do in your life. And uh, that, that would be, that would be my play. And then finally, I guess, you know, kind of point coming back to, um, well, I guess I would ask about Purdue. We didn't really ask about the question, but you know, everyone's watched Purdue this last weekend. Purdue looks like a juggernaut. They look unstoppable. I mean, do you really think this team is, I mean, are they as unstoppable as they appeared to Michigan state? I mean, well, the one thing I found interesting too about Zach Eady is he mentioned afterwards, like, well, you know, Izzo just was trying to go one-on-one, you know, he was just trying to single cover me the whole time, which I don't think that was the case. I feel, I feel like Izzo tried everything and just nothing worked. They, they probably should have but stayed I mean, other teams. because that's what they did the first time. And they, and they, and they stayed glued to shooters. And other than a little bit late when, when Fletcher lawyer hurt him, that's why they only lost by one that and Tyson Walker hit, scored 30, but they probably would have been better. I mean, the last two Sundays, they've sort of tried to pick their poison and somehow wound up swallowing both cups, you know, like, I mean, it's been, <laughs> it's been a disaster. And, you know, I, you know, if they play him again and they might not, and I'm sure they're hoping they don't, but if they play him again, be in the Big Ten tournament or, you know, both teams were to make a run and you see him in the second round of the NCAA tournament, you got to do something very different uh, to some degree or be ready to, I should say, if it's not working. And to me, once you're giving up 70 points and 26 rebounds to a guy in two games, okay, he's getting like, that's going to happen whoever you have. You, you played your center and that happened defensively. Play Joey Hauser at the five. And make Edie really play, you know, make Edie chase Joey Hauser. Make Edie play outside and make them, the only way to hurt them is to counter it and to be good enough offensively with that same position that he becomes a weakness. And again, I don't think that's necessarily the right play for every team. But Michigan State can't prevent him from averaging 35 points a game against them. So <laughs> they need to, if Michigan State faces them, they need to do something different next time, I think, to, to give themselves a, or at least be ready to switch to something very different very quickly. Um, because just getting Sissoka overpowered when he, when he gives you nothing offensively so Edie doesn't even have to work, that doesn't do you any good. Do I think Purdue is that good? I do, because I think Edie's that good. I really do. And I think sometimes we've seen enough Big Ten big man and we doubt it a little bit. And I think their young guards are really good, but everybody on that team understands who they are and knows their role. And that's incredibly important. And, and, and I've heard people say to me, and I'm, you know, well, is Purdue really that good without Edie? Well, no, but Michigan State wasn't very good without Cassius Winston or Denzel Valentine. Like, those were NIT teams otherwise, and they were one in the country sometimes with those guys. Like, just because he's a big man doesn't mean you get to say the rest of the team is crap just because he's the star. The same thing could happen for a lot of other teams with stars. You, I mean, if you, you know, you take a lot of players off. Um, you know, you take A.J. Hogarth off Michigan State. Now, they would be a different team all the way, and, and they would start Walker at the point, and they would figure some things out. and They might scratch their way out of the bubble, but they very well might be in the NIT. And so, they, you know, I mean, there are a lot of teams that you take their best – player off and all of a sudden they're not very good i i would i would just offer a, a devil's advocate position on purdue regarding Edie. the thing that would concern me if i were a purdue fan kind of relates to what we were just talking about the ncaa tournament getting officials 
who don't work big 10 games. And I wonder what happens. Cause here's the thing, having seen this guy play twice in rapid, pretty rapid succession, let's be honest about it. Zach Eady gets hacked a lot, but he's also a very physical player who deals out a lot of physical punishment himself. And I do wonder he gets a bad whistle on the raw night. It's, and that's, that is a problem. That's something that's happened to big 10 teams with big men in the, in the recent past. And so that would be the thing that would really worry me about Purdue is they're so reliant on him offensively. The whole thing is oriented around him. Um, what happens if he's in foul trouble, can they adjust, you know, to me, the, the, the hallmark of Tom Izzo teams over the years and their success in the tournament when they've had it has been their ability to be flexible, to play different styles, beat different types of teams. I wonder about that with Purdue, if Edie were to be in foul trouble. And I think it's, I think it's a non-zero chance in a tournament game, right? He's very good at not fouling defensively. And I think that is something that, so and what that allows from him. And I think you, you tell him, don't, you know, don't, don't use your fouls on defense because if, if he's going to foul out with five offensive fouls and so be it, but that's probably not going to happen. And that's what you, you kind of trust him on that. Yeah. You might get one where a different official runs you over and that's where you, no doubt, you know, painters, you've got to work refs before the game. You know, you've got to, you've got to say, because he gets almost no fouls. You can say, this kid does not foul, you know, that, and, and if he gets one early, you got to be in their ear and say, you know, you're like the first guy to call that all year. That's not what he does. That's not, that's not, he's not, a, you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that would be my worry. Not that yeah. he fouls out of a game, but that he gets a second foul with 10 45 left. You got, in the then first you got to play him. I, I think he's the one guy you, you play it anyway, um, because he hasn't gotten a lot of fouls. And so much of the game is dictated and you don't want him to get out of a rhythm. You don't want another team to all of a sudden find confidence. I think the worst thing that can happen for Purdue is they're facing somebody, especially early on, you know, and they're like in a, you know, a, a one eight second round matchup and they're facing a team that, you know, we, we talked about some of these big 10 teams that may be eight season. It won't be a big 10 team, but it could be somebody of that caliber who all of a sudden gets a little bit of confidence. And then it's, you're going to Edie, but it's just not working the way, you know, you, you, you're, you're in a fight then. I, I think your, your, your best bet with Edie is in the first half to play him through three fouls, regardless. And, and there aren't a lot of guys I would say that, but it's just like, I wouldn't, you know, at a certain point you bring AJ Hogart in they should have been Indiana because they were struggling, but Hogart is not a guy you trust to not become another foul. Walker, you can't trust not pick up another foul Edie. I mean, I I've just watched him play. The guy does not pick up fouls. And I think you can, you know, you can almost trust him more than other guys. Well, I think that's uh that'd be what a breaking a 43 year drought in the final four for Purdue. If they manage, I think it's something like that. 19, uh, 1980. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. 42, 43 years. Joe Barry. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Rod, that was before my time. I don't, you know, I don't remember that. So, uh, all right. So I think we'll wrap it up. Thanks a lot, Graham, for being on the show. We really appreciate it a ton. And, uh, you know, if you haven't had a chance, please check out the couch in the Rube podcast and your, uh, your partner's now back from COVID. So Nix has survived his stint with was the second or third time with COVID yeah, by this time. It feels time? like he's had it a few times, but I don't know that it's, it, yeah, it's at least two. 
twice, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's uh, it's it's almost to the point where he feels like kind of malaria. You just sort of comes back every couple of years. I, I thought he just wanted a vacation. He was just lying to me for a while, and he just wanted a, a, a week off. But I, I right. Know, but he kept he kept saying he felt like ass. So I, I'll take him at his word. Yeah. That's the uh, that was that great Saturday Live commercial that just they put out a couple months ago where they you know you want to get you want to get time off and get away from the kids just come up and get COVID and then suddenly you get out of work or whatever you get ten it's days brilliant. of like hanging out on your couch watching soccer at three o'clock in the afternoon and you know making a few phone calls for work and that's about it yeah no it's it's it is the new uh, I need I need a, I need a break it's the new I need a break uh, way out absolutely uh, I, I would also encourage you check out on your podcast player, leave a written review. When you leave a written review, take a picture, email it to me at eric at tffinots.com. And then I can send you a $5 gift card for nudge printing. So you'll get that in addition to your 20% off when you enter final four into the checkout. Uh, so great deal there. So again, just take a picture, a screenshot, you know, I finally figured out how to do that a couple of years ago. I'm an old guy. Uh, and then email it to me at eric at tffinots.com. And uh, we'll get you that $5 gift card for cool Spartan apparel. All right. Well, until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.